welcome to Week in Review, where we recap events and issues pertinent to Central Illinois. I'm WMBD Radio News Director Will Stevenson. Tazewell County government continues to be injured, you might say, several weeks after what officials only call a cyber incident that took out the county's phone, internet, and email systems. They claim they were just waiting until after the Thanksgiving holiday to explain the situation publicly, but it was more than a week before authorities explained. That includes Tazewell County Sheriff Jeff Lauer and Tazewell County Clerk John Ackerman. In the early mornings, hours of November 20th, uh, the Tazewell County Government Computer Network experienced a cyber incident. At that time, our network was proactively taken offline to determine what had happened and how we should respond to this issue. Uh, Currently, the two major systems that appear to be mostly affected are the telephone and email systems. Email currently remains offline, but we have begun restoring the telephone systems. The main incoming telephone numbers to most offices have been or are currently being restored. Uh, Tazewell County government is still operational, but the procedures and processes in which we conduct business have been modified in each office to compensate for this interruption. We are working as quickly as we can to restore the telephone and email systems to an operational status, and we are treating this as an ongoing criminal investigation and have enlisted the help of experts in this field. That is the press release that uh, that we're going to be putting out. So I will try and answer uh, questions as best I can if somebody has any. What uh, led you to determine that it was a cyber attack? Was there some sort of sign or indication or something like that? Well, some of the systems were interrupted, which caused us to take the system down to try and uh, determine that. Is this considered ransomware? That, with this being a criminal investigation, I'm not going to get into that. Is it, uh, is it personal information from county employees? Was that also a part of uh, the cyber attack as well? Was that- there again, that part of the criminal investigation, but at this point, nothing leads us to believe that. How is this affecting everyday business? Every office is a little different. You know, obviously, today, email and, and telephone is uh, it's how we communicate. And uh, it's just made it a little more difficult. But each office has is, is changed their operations to meet the need. Are there uh, any county services in particular that if people are trying to figure out how to access at this time, there's a place for them to go or somewhere they should call to do that? Well, as far as the sheriff's office, I can speak to that. Uh, Our website, our app, it's outside of the county system. It's still functioning. There is information there uh, on day-to-day operation. But as far as the other offices, I, I can't answer that. And to be entirely clear, I believe in your press uh, release you said cyber incident, and we've said cyber attack out here a couple of times. Um, do, do you believe it was some sort of intentional or malicious act? Is cyber attack an accurate terminology to use when talking about what happened? Well, there again, it, we are considering it a criminal investigation. So 
At this point, it'd be too early for me to, to confirm that. What kind of help are you are you getting in terms of investigating what has happened? Uh, we do have uh, consultants that deal specifically with this, and we have notified the uh, the proper uh, channels that we're supposed to when when something like this happens. Is it an FBI investigation or something like that? They have been notified. In terms of your office in particular, how has it how has it been impacted? How how are you still able to function? I guess from a maybe uh, people looking to come to jail to visit inmates or call the sheriff's department, things like that. How have you been able to operate? Our systems are separate as far as uh, we operate off mostly cloud-based and uh, our internal systems, uh, like our video visiting, they're all just internal. Um, to your guys' credit, it happened at like the worst time with the holiday and everything, but um, a two-part question is like, who found it and what exactly are you guys doing to get it back up because it's been down for a minute now. So. Mm -hmm. Well, the first obvious sign was our phones quit working. So that was the, the biggest red flag right away. And uh, like I said, we're continuing to evaluate and bring the systems online as we can. Uh, this is also all happening right around the beginning of the filing period for our next election cycle. Do you believe that this could have any sort of impact on the smooth beginning of the filing period for county elections? No, I can't answer that, but I don't believe so. It's uh, in talking to John Ackerman. Uh, he doesn't believe that there's going to be any interruption. Are there uh, the employees uh, that this could potentially, or I guess my question is, does this have any impact on your employees? And if so, what communication has the county had with that to assure them of whatever is going on? Well, we've been staying in contact with everyone, you know, as far as the sheriff's office, which I can speak to that. We're here every day, so we're in close communication with everybody. Uh, as far as the other offices, we've been working through uh, the county administrator. He's been trying to keep in touch with every office and, and make sure we relay as much information as we can. In terms of your office, is it, like, uh, is it affecting everyday business in the sense that you guys can't? meet your deadlines or anything like that? Is business still running as normal as, normal as possible? Or? Yes. It, for us, the, the only issue is the incoming phone and, and emails, which, uh, you know, that's pretty much how people operate as far as communication outside. But within the department, there's no issues. And emergency communication is all handled by dispatchers, right? Does that yes. have no impact on emergency communication of any kind? No, that's a completely separate uh, network at another location. Do you know if there's any uh, information in terms of employee information taken, or is it still kind of under investigation at this time? It is under investigation, so yeah, we're... Uh, we're working very hard to get all those questions answered. And, and when we do have more information, definitive answers, I, I'm sure we'll be able to get back with you. I imagine you at least have leads and things that you're following up on and whatnot at this point. That's part of all of it, yes. Hey, by the way, uh, when did you first notice, or when, when were you first alerted of this, I guess, just for the record? It was the, the early morning of uh, the 20th. That's when the, the phones quit working because there's always somebody calling in here. Uh, we have employees 24-7, so.
So obviously the, the holiday was also between now and then, but it's also been you know eight days since then, mm -hmm. uh, and we're having a press conference now. Uh, did you just within the past few days identify it for sure as a cyber incident, or could you kind of speak to the timing of this press conference? I suppose. Well, the timing is uh, obviously part of it is because of the holiday. You know, there's just been so much going on, and uh, this happened at a time when everybody has plans. And uh, it was a matter of trying to enlist the proper help to investigate this so we knew what it was rather than just uh, assuming. So, and as, of, as far as today, you know, we weren't going to have a press conference over Thanksgiving or the weekend. So we wanted to try and get to it as soon as possible. Yeah, and you mentioned FBI. Have any other government agencies been notified and, and kind of brought into the loop on this? No. Okay. What was the FBI's response? Well, there again, it's part of the investigation. I'd rather not say. We'll hear from Tazewell County Clerk John Ackerman on how his office is impacted, especially with elections, with more Week in Review coming up. We just heard from Tazewell County Sheriff Jeff Lauer about a cyber attack that led to Tazewell County government email, phone, and internet systems in some cases going down. It's important to emphasize, by the way, that 911 in Tazewell County is not impacted, as that's on a separate system. As of Saturday, though, phone and email systems were still not fully operational. That cyber attack caused some hiccups for Tazewell County Clerk John Ackerman that he told reporters this past week he's dealing with, in some cases, the old-fashioned way. So, you know, is, is this impact, it's, it's the very beginning of election season, is this impacting that at all? Yeah, there's no impact at all on the elections process. Uh, petition filing is taking place just like it is in every other county throughout the state, every other jurisdiction, and no, there's nothing, nothing stopping that or impeding that in any way. As a, uh, just as a county department, how is this generally affecting you? Is this has it affected you at all, I imagine, to some point? Yeah, like the sheriff addressed already, operations, you know, uh, communicate. we all communicate by email and by phone. Um, those services being down has made it, the job more complicated. Um, normal, simple tasks like issuing a marriage license. We had weddings over the weekend um, that complicated that. Um, we had to go old school back uh, to typing them out on a typewriter. Uh, that's just how it's going to be done. Uh, services are going to be provided to citizens. Um, it just may take us... Uh, a little longer, and it may take a few different uh, avenues than we're used to doing it. Yeah, as a county employee yourself, I mean, have you, what is the communication, I don't know if you're able to speak on this, but communication between the county and you got, and you and your mm -hmm. office in terms of uh, potential, if this happens, data breach, uh, has that impacted anything of your personal information? Or? The county administration has been keeping all officers involved uh, in, in conversations on the topic. Um, it, it, they've handled everything perfectly. There's uh, no uh, issue that we see. Um, just managed going through this uh, complicated issue. Are we considering any uh, backup phone lines or backup internet? Do you just kind of offset if you're down one way, you have another way? I think we were all finding different ways to get by. Um, I won't go too much further, but the sheriff's already addressed a lot of that. Um, but uh, we're finding ways to make sure that all services are being fulfilled that uh, we can take care of. Like I said, we're just using different methods than we're accustomed to currently. We still had a typewriter. <laughs> yes, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, there's one. Wednesday, uh, 
because it was a holiday, Wednesday marriage license had to be issued then for weddings taking place on Saturday. Um, that just had to be done by typing, uh, using the typewriter to do them back on paper, something we haven't done for multiple decades now. Um, it's just, it is how it has to be done. Um, on the election side, no impediment, no harm, no issues with our operations of that aspect. And as far as we can tell, no election uh, item has been compromised in any way. So we are not seeing any issues there. What have you heard from other departments? How has this affected them? All of the departments, we're all communicating and working together, um, trying our best to get through uh, a difficult situation. But uh, uh, the county has had open communications with all officers, and uh, um, we're all friends and, and know each other real well, so I, I don't think there's been any impediment there. As long as you're standing there, John, how has the first part of the uh, filing deadline gone? A lot of the focus ends up being on Springfield, but you still have work to do. Yeah, too, right? yeah. Um, we're looking right now. Um, uh, we post those results every day, the candidates that have filed on our uh, social media page. Normally it's on our website. Um, right now it's on our social media page as well. Um, so people are being able to take a look and see who's filed. Currently we're looking at uh, there be a race for auditor. There are more than one candidate that have filed for that. Um, there's more than one candidate that's filed for Tazewell County Board District 3. Um, the other races so far only have one candidate running. Um, so th those are the two main ones that have come into focus. Um, trying to think if I've missed, no, that covers all of those. Uh, there's none others that we've missed there. I know McLean uh, and Hillary were expecting a bigger turnout for their filing day um, and it didn't quite happen. How did it look through this? This was about an average one for us. Um, it, I would, I didn't keep count. Uh, I don't track that information myself, but just in general, it, it appeared to be just about the same as usual. So uh, our standard size. Um, you don't see the large crowds that you see in Springfield at the county offices, at the local ones, because we're only hosting our local candidates. Um, so uh, there's fewer races and it's not a statewide drive for everybody. Um, so it's not quite the pomp and circumstance that you see down there, but you also don't have to wait hours out in the cold either. So uh, there are advantages, advantages to running locally. Um, do you think that the cyber incident might cause people to have some hesitation to come and put their name in? I would hope not. I would hope that everybody would uh, see that, uh, again, we're doing the best uh, operations that are possible right now. We've taken the necessary precautions. Uh, the sheriff's working through the part that needs to be worked through by them. Um, no, there's no need to have uh, concern at all with that. And again, I, I just wanted to stress the election portion of it in cybersecurity. I know trying to blend those two topics together, there is nothing involving the elections division that was in any way um, compromised by this because that's just not uh, possible under the measures that we have in place. Is this one of those things though that's gonna, the longer this goes on, like again, we're at what, eight or nine days since this first happened. The longer this goes on, do you think it will get more aggravating or more frustrating or, or harder to try to keep doing your job? Yeah, I mean, I definitely could say yes to that because there are operations that need to take, internal things that need to take place that um, we're having to work around right now. We all would prefer to have them under the normal uh, flow of operations. So yes, the longer this goes on, the longer, the more it compounds. Um, but I don't see anything right now that has been uh, impeded or compromised other than just some time delays. When you first heard about this, uh, how alarmed were you as a county employee? Were you alarmed at all when you heard about this cyber 
incident? Wasn't just because of training and knowing uh, what risk is out there and, and what uh, response we had locally uh, and open communications with uh, the sheriff and others to know exactly what was taking place and how it was being handled. So no, no concerns or uh, issues there. No, just that separation on the election part. There is no impediment, no damage to the election process. There was no threat to the election process in any way. Um, the, I know, again, those are national topics that get convoluted and mixed together, but that is not in any way uh, an issue here. Taswell County Clerk John Ackerman. Speaking of technology, artificial intelligence is continuing to evolve and not necessarily in a good way. Dave Johnson of Pearl Technologies talked about some recent dangers with WMBD's Greg Batten and Dan DiOrio. Over the last few days, last week or more, we followed the story of a guy named Sam Altman, who I had not been paying attention to. Mm -hmm. Your world, you probably do. Yep. Open AI was the company that he helped co-found. Yep. And then he gets fired, and then he's not fired, and then he's working for Microsoft. Now he's back at Open AI. Give us a rundown of what's going on and why it matters, by the way. Why does this matter? This is actually a much bigger deal than it first appeared to be. It's not be. just a, an employee problem here. No. Yeah. So he and Elon Musk were two of the founders. They were the original board of directors. And OpenAI it was non-for-profit, not-for-profit, whatever, to try to protect artificial intelligence because they thought if the lead developers of this are big corporations, um, who knows what evil will come out of that and sure. how it will be used. So that's how they originally decided to go after this. It's hard to raise money for a nonprofit. Investors want to return on their money. Sure so they they've been through all of that. They came out with large language model, chat GPT, okay. which is generative AI. Which means now remember, what? What that, that mean? means that the artificial intelligence produces something that wasn't there before. Okay. So if I get on chat GPT and say, write a poem about Greg and Dan, it mm -hmm. writes the poem, it generated something. It hadn't existed before. Hadn't existed before, and it's basically large language models so okay. so you know we all know they it can understand what we write and it can write its own stuff that's kind of where ai has been open ai invented that the board fired him and they basically said it was because he was not consistently candid so what that means is is he lying to him is he got a secret he's not telling them mm -hmm. Um, so they let him go. He leaves. Microsoft gets upset because they got billions of dollars in this now mm -hmm. and said, you need to take him back. And he said, well, I'll come back. But the whole board has to quit. And, and that's when all those employees put a put petition. They together. put a petition. Together. 500 and some of their employees. Right. right. And so he got asked to come back. I think the board is going to change. But the new story that came out over the weekend, basically, is a, a smaller group of OpenAI employees wrote a letter to the board and said, there's some dangerous stuff going on that he's not talking to you about. And so what is this dangerous stuff? It is an advancement in AGI, which is artificial general intelligence. This is the computer version of human intelligence. Thinks for itself. 
uh, we've kind of mastered or getting mastered the language part of it. Okay. But it's been notoriously bad at math. Oh, really? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, it's interesting. You could say, what's 2 plus 14, and it would go 27. Wow. Um, <laughs> Sounds like Greg and I. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Future radio hosts. Yeah. yeah. Um, so... What they did, they said, we've made a big advancement, or we're on the verge of one, for AGI. And this is what's the dangerous one, take over the world or whatever. Sure. What is it? Q-Star is a thing they got going on in there now that's been quiet and secret. And they're figuring out the math part. And so you go, well, computers are good at math. No, they're good at calculating. They're like a big calculator, but they just do the calculations we tell them, mm-hmm. right? They don't figure it out on their own. Now it's starting to figure it out on its own. So what's happened is, in a simplified version, it's like a kid. A baby, the first thing they learn is how to understand speech mm-hmm. and how to talk and how to say things that are new. Once they've developed that, we shove their little butts in school. They start learning math. Math's the next level of intelligence. And the level we're at now with this math is basically like grade school story problems. So it's not just what's three plus four. It's if you have a train leaving New York. Oh, I hated those. And one leaving San Francisco. (laughs) This one's going 20 miles an hour. This one's going 40 miles an hour. Where will they meet? That kind of level. That's the difference between what a computer normally did, which was just, hey, they give you an equation, you plug in the numbers and solve it, coming up with its own equations. Dave Johnson of Pearl Technologies. More Week in Review coming up. We've talked a bit about technology in this week's program. Technology is becoming more and more important in agriculture as well. That was one of the main focuses of the Greater Peoria Farm Show, which spent three days this past week at the Peoria Civic Center. WMBD's TJ Carson looked back at this past farming season and ahead to next year with a firm that deals with technology. DTN and their grain market analyst, Todd Holtman. What are the big points farmers and I guess people in general should know about corn and soybean prices for next year? Uh, We hear a lot about uh, inflation affecting the economy. How does it affect corn and soybeans? Yeah, well, uh, the good news is inflation is almost a separate topic and has been heavily influenced by the energy markets. We're finally starting to get some energy production back in the uh, U.S. for the first time since uh, COVID hit us. And so the corn and soybean markets are more influenced by weather, of course, and the competition we're getting from overseas. And that competition, especially from Brazil, has been a much uh, tougher hurdle to get over the past few years. What makes that hurdle tough to clear? Well, you know, uh, Brazil is really the only country in the world where they can still afford to increase cropland, and they've been doing it steadily for 15 years or more at a roughly 2 to 2.5% pace per year, and now they're getting up there to where uh, they're outproducing us on soybeans by quite a margin, and they're out exporting us on corn, so it's becoming more and more difficult to meet the challenges of competition from Brazil. How does that affect farmers not only trying to sell their corn and soybeans, but also trying to plant them and grow them? Yeah, well, uh, you know, the planning and growing part is pretty much the same. That's the good news. Uh, and, and they're experts at knowing 
how to do that. But when it comes to having a place to sell your corn, that export market is a big uh, deal, even in the case uh, of corn. And uh, we saw last year we really got kind of left out of the export market quite a bit because, we number one, we didn't have as much corn, but also because Brazil had a big crop and outcompeted us on the corn. So it's very important and, you know, very important uh, when it comes to the prices at your local elevator uh, or your uh, local river sites. What are some of the positives and negatives going into next year in the markets? Well, of course, uh, for corn, the obvious negative is that we've got a lot more of it this year. We're just coming off of a record harvest. We're going to have ending stocks of over 2 billion bushels that we haven't, uh, the highest we've seen in five years. So where does that corn go? Right now we've got low water levels on the Mississippi River, uh, somewhat restricting barge traffic, but a bigger concern even a little farther south in the Panama Canal. We'd like to ship that corn uh, efficiently to Asia, into the Asian markets, but uh, it's becoming more and more prohibitive to go through the Panama Canal when they're being hurt by drought restrictions uh, for the traffic there. That was a major thing from this past summer, uh, drought affecting uh, Illinois and the Midwest pretty heavily. How did that affect uh, corn and soybeans? (laughs) Well, I, I still have a hard time explaining that story, but, you know, we came out with a record corn crop. And that's something that none of us would have expected in late June. We ended up getting some uh, stronger, uh, great coverage of rains in July and early August. Uh, Some areas got more rains and better coverage uh, than others. The western corn belt tended to come up short, as they uh, usually do. But overall, at the end of the day, because we had a big planting of corn this year, we came out with a record harvest. And that was uh, just somewhat unbelievable given the the stress of the weather that we had seen through the year. And how does that record harvest affect next year uh, going into 2024? Well, of course, it gives us a lot more corn to start the new season. So when you've got over 2 billion bushels uh, of carry, there's already a lot of corn in the system. There's not as many willing takers. Uh, for the new corn, and we're seeing those prices come down uh, accordingly. Okay. Uh, the lower prices, does that help or hurt the farmers? Well, obviously, they'd like to see higher yeah. corn prices. So, uh, uh, you know, they, they nobody wants drought, but it, the nice thing about drought is you get the higher prices, and then, uh, you know, everybody wants a bumper crop, but with the bumper crop comes <laughs> lower prices. So, uh, it, it all comes down to farm management and doing the best you can with the things you can control. Were there any other major points you wanted uh, farmers and people attending your discussions to take away uh, from the information you presented today? You know, I, I think the big thing is that if there is an opportunity uh, in uh, the crop picture ahead, it's really on the soybean side. We've got very strong demand for soybeans. We've got a brand new renewable diesel market that's just two years young and still growing leaps and bounds. We've got more renewable diesel plants coming online in 2024. This this is a, a soybeans is a market with a, a brand new source of demand it never had uh, before a couple of years ago, and that's that's the good news and. Uh, uh, that should help encourage some more soybean planting this coming spring. What's the reason for the increased demand in soybeans? Uh, is there a trend that you noticed with that? Yeah, well, it's all about the desire to have more low-carbon fuels, and renewable diesel fuel made from soybean oil fits that need very well. And, of course, right now it's primarily used in California 
uh, where they have some uh, extra incentives to promote that fuel. But it's being accepted very well, and the oil industry is just as excited about it as the traditional soybean processors, so we don't have the same old political fight that we see in ethanol against the oil lobby. And so that's been one of the nice features. How was soybean production this year, and how do you see it next year? Uh, soybean production did okay, just shy of 50 bushels an acre. It was the fourth smallest crop, uh, or smallest crop in four years, however, because we just didn't plant enough. Uh, we really planted too much corn, in my uh, humble opinion, and not enough soybeans. So I'd like to see us get back closer to a 50-50 rotation. For the average consumer, the average person who may not be in the farm industry or a farmer themselves, what what can they take away from the information that you're giving this week at the farm show? What, how can that affect their lives? Well, if nothing else, I, I hope they would have an understanding of just how difficult uh, the, the challenges are for our farmers, how much they're needed. Uh, just, you know, just because uh, it's not the most profitable industry at time, uh, that doesn't mean it's not important. We all depend on the farmer for our food in so many channels and so many different avenues. Uh, we, we all deserve to have greater appreciation. Todd Holtman of DTN talking with WMBD's TJ Carson. More Week in Review coming up. Friday marked the start of what the Peoria Fire Department hopes will truly be the most wonderful time of the year a month of hopefully no major fires. December 1st is the start of the fire department's annual Keep the Wreath Red campaign. Peoria Fire Department Division Chief of Fire Prevention Nate Rice talked on Friday about that with reporters. We are here today for the 28th annual Keep the Wreath Red campaign. Um, the Peoria Fire Department wholly believes in this campaign as an effort to prevent fires during the holiday season. What you see behind me is a decorative wreath adorned with red bulbs. You will see these wreaths on all 12 fire stations in the city of Peoria. However, it's more than just holiday decor. Our hope is that the wreaths serve as a reminder to the citizens of Peoria to practice fire safety in their homes and businesses. Since 1995, the Peoria Fire Department has implemented the Keep the Wreath Red campaign. How it works is for every residential or commercial structure fire with a dollar loss, one red bulb is replaced with a white bulb. The desire is that we never have to replace a bulb throughout the entire month of December. The campaign runs from December 1st through December 31st. During the holiday season, there are certain factors that can lead to an increase in fires. The Peoria Fire Department would like to remind citizens of these dangers during this time of the season. First, properly using extension cords and making sure they're not overloaded and using the properly rated extension cord is of the utmost importance. Ensure decorative lights are in good condition and unplug them when leaving the home or sleeping at night. Be sure to water any natural Christmas trees and always when you're cooking with for family gatherings, Always be aware of what you're cooking. Never leave cooking unattended. NFPA estimates that over 50% of fires each year are attributed to cooking. And as always, most importantly, always have working smoke alarms in your home. 
While practicing fire safety is important year round, it is important during the holiday season. As you drive by the fire station and see these wreaths, let it be a reminder to keep your home and business fire safe. Here at the Peoria Fire Department, help us keep you safe by keeping the wreath red. Thank you. I'll be glad to take any questions. Of uh, all those things you mentioned, is there one that you see more than the other this time of year? I know we've had a couple of cooking related fires lately. Yes. What's, what's the worst problem? So um, definitely cooking is, is we, the national statistic is over 50%. Um, I can tell you that in Peoria, we line right up with that statistic. Um, over 50% of our fires um, are cooking related. Um, I would say during the holiday season, um, during colder weather, there's probably two things that we see more, more than anything. Um, one is extension cords and two is space heaters. Those are probably two of the biggest dangers and what we see in accidental fires that, that are the probably the leading cause. In terms of space heaters, what, uh, what ends up being the problem with them? They're just left on? So being A, being left on, uh, but also being too close to something that's flammable. Um, if it's too close to a blanket or too close to a pillow or somebody throws their newspaper down and it lands right beside the space heater, um, those are things that, that we see can commonly cause those to those to start fires. So, so um, the biggest thing with extension cords is, um, first of all, don't overload them. Um, and then don't, uh, what we call daisy chaining. So basically don't use numerous extension cords all together. Um, it's kind of like seeing the power strip and then the extension cord plugged into the power strip and then another extension cord plugged into that one. Um, and then the other thing too is, you know, make sure you're using a, a properly gauged extension cord. Um, the extension cords that are kind of smaller, like lamp cord, um, you have to be very careful of those um, because the construction for those is not nearly what it would be for, um, for ones that are a bit bigger gauged. Um, so the bigger round type ones are really the ones you want to use. Um, not necessarily, um, probably more than anything is if you're going to put lights on a real tree, um, make sure that that tree is watered, um, and it's not drying out, uh, because obviously those can spark a major fire and they can light up very quickly for sure. So How many light lights did you have last year? We had 19 white lights last year. Um, and, um, for I think our total dollar loss was 1.2 million, I think, um, which is a little bit of an increase, but we had a commercial fire that really spiked that number up. So um, anytime you have anything of that nature, it's gonna cause much more higher damage dollar-wise. Putting up Christmas lights on the house, mm -hmm. what are some safety tips that you would do? Make sure that they are, um, you don't have too many strands put together um, and that you're, you're, once again, overloading of outlets, overloading of circuits. Um, you wanna make sure they're all in good condition. So 
run your hand up and down the string. If that, if the wire is at all frayed or if there's any cuts or nicks in that insulation covering that wire, toss it. Um, just throw it away. Um, make sure the bulbs are all good working order. Um, and if not, um, once again, either replace them or just replace the entire string of lights. Oh, um, it, it is, um, in, in our line of business, it definitely comes in waves. Um, we have ebbs and flows, it seems like with fires. Um, and so we'll get a couple months of our numbers increasing and then we'll kind of get a low, but you definitely have, um, you definitely have more opportunities and you definitely have more instances. It seems like during the winter months, just because there's hazards that people are using and people are doing that they wouldn't typically do a in warmer weather or when it's not Christmas time. Are Absolutely. Um, you know, probably some of the biggest things are things that you would do every day. Um, candles, make sure candles aren't too close to anything that can light a fire. Um, you know, different, really any type of heating source that you have in your house, um, it can cause a fire. And so, um, candle, you know, even the scent warmers and, and things of that nature, anything that has a heating element to it, you just want to be very cautious of, um, you know, candle blow out. can if you're going to leave the room, blow out the candle for sure. Um, so just something that we don't always think about. Um, and I can't stress probably cooking fires enough because, too many people will put something on the stove, walk away, and the next thing they know, they have they they, they have a real problem. So, um, so that's really probably one of the highlights I would say too. Peoria Fire Department Division Chief of Fire Prevention Nate Rice. That does it for this edition of Week in Review. Join us again next week on this Midwest Communications Station for another recap of some of the biggest issues and events in central Illinois. You don't have to wait for Week in Review to get the lowdown on what's happening in central Illinois. For instant news 24-7, follow us at 1470 WMBD on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and at WMBDRadio.com. Or just download our podcast at WMBDRadio.com or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Will Stevenson, WMBD Radio News. Thank you.